Welcome to the Three Lines of Defence podcast, the show that provides in-depth discussion into the world of audit, compliance and risk. We bring valuable insights, market information and career advice from industry leaders. Here's your host, Mark Enticott. On today's show, we have Natalie Burney. Natalie was the Head of Behavioural Risk at Macquarie Bank. Natalie has also held various other roles at Macquarie Bank, including Head of Central Division for Risk Management and Divisional Director of Operational Risk. Before joining Macquarie Bank, Natalie worked at Evans Peck in a consulting role with a focus on developing and the implementation of change management and restructuring programs. Natalie has also worked at McDonald's Restaurant in Australia and the UK as part of the CEO's executive management team. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Mark. I'd like to start off with your early life. Can you share with us a little bit more about where you grew up? I grew up on the north coast of New South Wales. Beautiful. In Grafton, otherwise known as Jacaranda City, and uh, had a lovely country life as a child, um, but moved to Sydney fairly quickly in the pursuit of work and also um, wanting to go to university as well. So when you look throughout your career, you've had a very diversified career. Can you provide some insight into the journey that you've been on that resulted in you getting into the banking and financial services sector, but also how you developed your career in risk management? So I think the common thread throughout my career is my interest in helping people understand how to change what they're doing and helping organisations to change what they're doing because there are factors or um, situate the situation has changed and they have to change and react and adapt. And as we all know, there's a lot of change in our lives on a day-to-day basis and people don't necessarily respond very well to having to do things differently, having to work differently. So early on in my career, I discovered a true interest in understanding how I could help people and organisations. And then that was demonstrated when I started to work with organisations on developing implementing and then evaluating the effectiveness of health and safety management systems. And I was fortunate enough to work with some fairly substantial uh, brands when I was doing that. For example, Camalco Rolled Products, Glad uh, Plastics Extrusion and Conversion. And then I ended up at McDonald's uh, developing the health and safety management system. And that was a big challenge There were about 50,000 employees at that time. Most of them were under the age of 18 and we needed to implement a health and safety system that was almost invisible to people so it wasn't seen as something extra or difficult or additional to what they did on a day-to-day basis. So the heavy emphasis there was on getting people to think about health and safety as part and parcel of everything that they did. So I really enjoyed uh, working at McDonald's. Again, another great brand, uh, very committed to treating people and their customers the right way, and that was a great learning journey for me. And then I was looking for a new opportunity, a new challenge, and McDonald's asked me if I would be interested in leading the design department, as in restaurant design, and that was something very different to what I'd done previously. 
Uh, but I put my hand up. I said, yes, that would be great. And then I eventually, in a fairly short period of time, they asked me to take responsibility for managing the property portfolio of McDonald's Australia. So that included the um, the identification assessment, uh, location, design, construction of all restaurants and the remodelling of all restaurants in Australia as well. So that was very different. I wasn't the technical expert and I think one of the things I learned there very quickly was that I had to listen to what my technical experts knew and what they could share with me so I could then be in a position to evaluate and make some clear decisions as to what we were doing and why we were doing it. So the property side of things was very interesting, but it also had a very large component of risk associated with it. It uh, also included health and safety, so there was another common thread there for me. But from a risk perspective, we were always looking at identifying, assessing and controlling the risks associated with what we were doing, the decisions we were making, the buildings that we were committed to. And then uh, I did that for about four years and then the UK business needed um, a head of development and they asked if I'd go over and join their new chief executive executive team um, in the UK and I did that for a few years as well. And as you mentioned before, I also uh, had some time working as a management consultant with Evanson Peck and I did that on our return from the UK. And then I moved into, uh, I joined uh, Macquarie, the Macquarie Group, um, and I actually joined Macquarie because they were looking for someone to develop a work health and safety management system for businesses in which they have interests in globally. So those assets that they had interests in, the interest could have been controlling, so they might have been the decision maker, or it could have been non-controlling, they might have just had a certain percentage of investment. And we needed to have a management system for health, safety and environment that would cover uh, the risks arising from that business and ensure that the standards and the performance was consistent with Macquarie's expectations, um, whether we were in a controlling or a non-controlling position. So in a little, in, in some ways that was going back to my earlier career, but it was a great combination because it was health, safety, environment, but it also involved uh, Macquarie had uh, a number of investments in projects which were um, design and construction type projects. And uh, when I joined Macquarie, uh, I had discussions with the senior risk people there that I would be very keen to get involved in change management strategy mm -hmm. and uh risk culture-related matters. And the beauty about Macquarie is that if you put your hand up and say, yes, you'd like to do something uh, and you're willing to put the hard yards in, then you can uh, spread your wings, so to speak. So in uh, 2013, the uh, CPS220, the new APRA standard, came out on risk management. It had a very significant component on risk culture and I thought that that was a fantastic opportunity for, um, for me from, a, from an interest perspective to pull together my skills and knowledge because I'd always been involved in organisational change, organisational culture and risk was a, a key part of my um, career to that point as well. So I got involved in 
responding to C- CPS 220 and stayed involved um, up until the time that I left Macquarie, which was late last year. So it's been a rather... Um, um, Fascinating journey. Varied career, yes. Um, I think, as I said before, the, the, the common thread is change management and organisational change and establishing the right culture so that organisations can respond to external factors, um, internal factors, and be flexible enough to to make the changes they need to in order to be successful and um, continue to be successful. When you look on the mentoring side, was there a particular individual or individuals that were key mentors to you throughout your career that helped develop your career and if so, what, what sort of impact have they had on your leadership style? I'm very fortunate. Um, I mentioned McDonald's before. We had a number of key leaders, including Charlie Bell and Guy Russo, Steve German, all of whom I worked with closely, all of whom were outstanding leaders and great role models uh, and genuinely interested in um, in me as an individual and, and what was important to me and where I wanted to go and incredibly supportive. And I think that um, the common factor there was they always had the time to talk and they were very happy to listen. Um, in fact, the first day I started at McDonald's, someone came and sat on the, the desk. I was filling out forms as you do when you first start a new job and someone came and sat directly on the desk in front of me. I looked up and it was Charlie Bell. Um, for those people that don't know Charlie, he was extremely well regarded globally and um, was the CEO here and also the CEO of McDonald's Corporation Worldwide. And uh, at that time he was the CEO of Australia and he came and sat on the desk and said, oh, welcome Natalie, we're really pleased to have you join the organisation. And the organisation had thousands of people. He just happened to know that I'd started that day. I think that level of detail and and, um, his attention to people um, was just a a fabulous start. And Guy Russo, very, very similar. Um, Guy uh, was always interested in what was happening with individuals and very proactive in terms of um, gender and uh, providing women with all sorts of opportunities. And then Steve German was the CFO, um, Deputy CEO. Uh, Again, uh, always had time to talk about what's important to me, where I wanted to go, and wasn't focused just on McDonald's in terms of career progression, but would talk to me about longer term and options for the future. And in fact, he, he suggested to me that I might like to look at Macquarie in the future, which I thought was really interesting. And have you seen that as a result of that sort of attention to detail and your first day at McDonald's, have you applied that sort of approach to your leadership style? I certainly have tried to. I think that um, trying to be patient and listen to people instead of jumping to conclusions and instead of being committed to action um, in a rush is a bit of a challenge. So listening to people, the thing that really has struck me in the last um, the last several years is the quality of people that are coming through. So I recruited a number of people um, at Macquarie and the quality 
the capability of those people was just staggering on many occasions. And uh, they were technically incredibly proficient and also worldly and also very mature. And the most important activity that I could participate in with them was to actually listen to them and facilitate them doing what they were good at doing. Um, So I think listening and making decisions in a timely way when it makes sense were two of the key things that I've tried to do, particularly in recent years, given the capability of the people that we have. When you look back on your career so far and the fact that you have got to key leadership positions, was there a significant turning point that you look back on and think that was a fundamental time in my career that helped me get to where you've got to? The time at McDonald's, when I first became the Director of Development um, for McDonald's, it was a huge challenge for me given I didn't have any technical background at all. But I really enjoyed it. I just loved it. I, I enjoyed the thrill of doing things differently. I enjoyed making deals. I enjoyed meeting lots of new people. I enjoyed working with the franchisees so they could understand what we were doing and why. So I, and I can remember being excited about going to work every day. I think the challenge for me through my career is to maintain that level of excitement. And I'm very fortunate because I've managed to do that um, with a number of very good um, organisations, including Macquarie. I'm sure all of your, your roles have had significant challenges in them. Is there one particular point in your career that was a real core challenge and, and how did you overcome it? When we moved back to Australia after um, my time with McDonald's in the UK, it was just um, the GFC had just hit and things were quite uh, challenging uh, across a number of um, parts of our lives, including the business world. And I was looking for a role and I decided that I would do some temporary work in the public sector just to see what it was like. And uh, we had a, I ended up working as the general manager of the design, construction, acquisitions, disposal side of things for Housing New South Wales. And we did $2 billion worth of works in a year. And we also delivered on the first part of the building stimulus program. Huge component of work, all, all consistent with the sort of work that I'd done in the past. Very heavy emphasis on risk management. I think the biggest challenge there was for me was working in the public sector was incredibly different to working in the private sector and I had to really learn to be patient and to make sure that we had covered off aspects the way that we had to in the public sector. Not that the private sector wasn't uh, um, addressing what they needed to and doing things the right way, but the public sector just has a different way of working. And simply the size of the budget that we were dealing with was just enormous, the the quantum of work that we were doing. So I think because I was there on a temporary basis, the challenge for me was to really set up my credibility very, very quickly 
and continue to lead a very large team of about 220 people and deliver on a huge program of work. So that was a, that was a, a big challenge and then relocating countries again. Um, but I enjoyed it very much and I was very pleased with the, the results that we managed to achieve there, myself and the team and the wider um, executive team. As you just mentioned, you, you've managed significant size teams throughout your career. What do you think are the key attributes of an effective leader? I mentioned before about listening and um, keeping your mouth shut uh, as much as you can and truly listening to what people have got to say is, um, is one of the most important things. And being accessible, making sure that if people need to talk to you, that you are accessible and that you have time in your diary to actually address what needs to be addressed. It's the, I've worked with people that are happy to do whatever needs to be done. What I've found is that it's absolutely essential to make sure that they're personally supported and they know that you've got their back if something goes wrong. We all make mistakes. That's not a problem. Uh, we just need to own up if we've made a mistake and we need to make sure that we can we work out how to manage it and what to do about it. And as a, I think an effective leader, your people should be able to say to you they've made a mistake without fear of um, of retribution or or inappropriate consequences. It's a very important point. You know, to obviously have a go, make the mistake, learn from it, and ensure that you know, it doesn't happen again. Yes. And it's, it's not that we live in a perfect world. It doesn't matter what industry we're talking about. If you try and make everything perfect, you'll stagnate and you won't be able to go very far. So it's, it's important to have an innovative culture and to be trying new things. It's also important to make sure that you are evaluating the risks associated with what you're doing and you're making clear, informed choices. When you've hired for your teams over the years, is there a particular personality trait or background that you've looked for in the individuals? The most important aspect for me is that people have a passion and a true interest in what we're discussing. As I said before, I love to go to work excited and I've always looked for roles that truly excite me where I get a huge amount of satisfaction. And I think it's a very sad situation for people to go to work and not be enjoying themselves. So whenever I have interviewed people, I've always looked for a sense of passion and commitment and interest, but also um, people that have got capacity to grow as well. If you were going to restart your career, what would be one key piece of advice that you would give to a younger version of yourself? I think think you should have lots of fun. Not that I didn't have fun, but uh, I think um, working less hours um, is probably a good idea. I think that in Australian organisations, not so much these days, but certainly um, this idea that you have to be seen to be in the office all the time, fortunately that's um, uh, gradually disappearing, but uh, certainly in the past, this idea of having to be in the office all the time eroded people's private time, and I think that was unnecessary. So I think 
If I was uh, starting again, yes, I probably would have uh, reduced my hours a little bit. Interesting. You've had a lot of experience throughout health and safety uh, throughout your career, and obviously this is an area that you would have seen has developed significantly in the last 30 years. What are the lessons that can be applied to better manage conduct risk and also embedding an effective risk culture in banking, finance, and superannuation businesses? So I think that there are significant lessons for us to learn from the health and safety journey over the last few decades. If you think about it, uh, health and safety, occupational health and safety, work health and safety, many years ago it was not necessarily seen as an important part of the way that businesses were managed. Today everyone acknowledges that good safety is good business and you can't afford uh not to manage safety appropriately and ethically and morally no no one I know in the business world wants to be associated with an organisation that hurts or even kills people. So I think we've reached a point in health and safety that people truly do understand the importance of it, that it needs to be embedded in organisations, that it's a key part of success. The learning that we can, the learnings that we can take from the health and safety journey for culture and conduct are along the same lines. And at the moment, I think people, whether it's finance or superannuation or, or banking or even other industries, I think people are really um, finding it difficult to come to grips with what risk, culture and conduct actually is. And I think that's similar to what it was like for health and safety um, 20 to 30 years ago. There's an assumption that there's technicalities here that are hard to come to grips with or that it should be something that's separate over and above what you do on a day-to-day basis when in actual fact the success will come if it's integrated into everything that you do. And also it doesn't necessarily need to be labelled as health and safety or labelled as conduct or labelled as culture. It's just the way that we do business. So I think the risk, culture and conduct journey at the moment, it's obviously a huge amount of work needs to be done in many organisations and whether it's the regulators or the banks or superannuation firms or the insurance firms, I think most of them are challenged by understanding how they can integrate culture and conduct into their organisation in a truly effective way, which means it's embedded for the longer term. And this is a challenge that will not be dealt with in the short term and it won't be dealt with easily and it requires a lot of hard work and it requires a lot of very detailed integration. And I think with health and safety, that's been going on for many years. If you think about the approach that was taken there, depending on which jurisdiction. So for example, in the UK, they put together a very strong legislative framework. They provided incredibly practical advice and the success was seen very clearly in the UK in a relatively short period of time from a health and safety perspective. 
you could even argue the same um, point from a culture and conduct perspective. They've certainly been um, leading the way there from a global perspective. I think here in Australia we're still trying to um, catch up and now that we've had the Royal Commission, there is a clear understanding that a lot of work needs to be done. But I think, uh, as I said before, I think a lot of organisations are still trying to come to grips with how that can be done effectively. And no one wants to do something superficial that will fall over in several months' time. They need to really make sure that it is part and parcel of their day-to-day work. Can you share a little bit more about your views as to the difference between culture and conduct? So culture is, the way I would describe it is that the culture is the general environment in which people are operating and that environment is set by the way that leaders behave, what leaders say, the infrastructure they put into place, for example, remuneration. Conduct is more along the lines of the decisions that we make, whether the decision is the right decision for our customer or whether the decision is um, the right decision for the organisation. And those decisions, I think there has been a tendency for some organisations to think about conduct in in relation to products. So what does the product look like? What's the impact on the customer? Is it doing the right thing by the customer? Does it serve the customer's needs, interests? When in actual fact, conduct is the, it's broader than that. It's the decisions that we are making on a day-to-day basis, which could potentially impact on employees, staff, contractors, customers. It's a much broader question. I think if although it's more challenging, if you think more broadly, and this is the way we approached it at Macquarie, we thought much more broadly about the conduct question. If you think more broadly about it, in the longer term, I think that you'll have more success and it will be much more strongly embedded instead of thinking about it just in pieces, so to speak. You mentioned briefly before about the banking sector and and how a lot of institutions around the world are working very hard to get the conduct risk component correct. How do you think that the broader banking financial services sector is going globally at getting conduct risk right? I think there is a huge amount of effort underway and there are some particularly good pockets of great Um, examples of being um, effective, particularly in Europe. But this is not easy for people to come to grips with. And I also think there are still some non-believers, so to speak. Uh, We have um, our regulators are asking the institutions here in Australia to make major <clears throat> excuse me make major changes in a short period of time and everyone um is finding that um very challenging i'm not saying anything new here that's very well understood across the industry but um there's no easy fix 
And if you think about what has gone on in the UK, they've been on this journey for several years already and they've made some good progress and therefore I can't see the progress being made quickly here in Australia. I think we need to recognise that it is going to take some time and I think we also need to recognise that it's going to take a lot of hard work and we can't be perfect to start with and some of it will work out and some of it won't necessarily be effective and therefore we have to keep trying and keep experimenting and see what actually does work to achieve the right sort of conduct at all times across the organisation or as much as possible as the organisation. If you think about it from a health and safety perspective, let's say it's a mining organisation, if you've got a good health and safety management system and you have a operator uh, working alone um, in a remote location, your health and safety system should give you a degree of comfort that that individual working by themselves is working safely. No one can see them, no one actually is observing them, but they choose to work that way because that's the way that the organisation behaves. And I think that's been achieved from a health and safety perspective um, fairly broadly, but from a conduct perspective, I think there's still some confusion as to who whose interests are we actually working um, for? Are we working for the organisation? Are we working for the shareholder? Are we working for the customer? Are we working for our colleagues? And I think until people are 100% clear about that, then that will add to the confusion as well. And obviously for organisations that are not focused on long-term success, they will not achieve long-term success unless the conduct side of things is incorporated, as I said before, in their day-to-day operations as health and safety is in many organisations today. It's interesting your point that you touch on with the, you know, energy and mining companies. I, I used to work at PwC in the energy and mining division, so we'd go to a lot of mine sites and worked for, you know, on roles within oil and gas companies. And you're right, it, it was the level of health and safety and how seriously it was taken both on site and, and even back at head office and it was just ingrained through every element of the organisation and how they operated. And it was it was just fascinating to see that even that operating at a head office level in, in Melbourne or Sydney or wherever, not just at a, a mine site. Absolutely. And we also need to be careful that we don't push it so hard that health and safety becomes, um, has a negative connotation. So these days, you know, it's not uncommon for people to say, oh, we can't do that anymore because of health and safety. And often it's not a health and safety matter at all. It just becomes an excuse. Interesting that the regulator in the health and safety regulator in the UK actually had a program that specifically addressed that sort of attitude, blaming health and safety for things happening or not happening, when in actual fact it was other factors at play because the reputation of health and safety needs to be maintained. And I think it's the same thing for conduct. We, We need to be careful that we don't cloak everything under the term conduct 
so that conduct becomes um, has a has a has a poor reputation, so to speak. We need to actually talk about the way that we do business. The way we do business is for the benefit of our shareholders. The way we do business is for the benefit of our customers, which in turn will be for the benefit of our shareholders and long-term success and long-term growth. At a high level, what, what do you feel are the fundamental aspects of getting conduct risk right within a large banking financial services institution? I think for the... For the staff, it actually needs to be kept as simple as possible. Um, And if you look at some of the organisations when I've had a look at their strategy, values, commitments, standards, it's very confusing. If, As an employee, there might be six values and three commitments and then there's the standards of how we operate when we're dealing with with customers, there's just list after list after list and I think that's very confusing for people. So keeping it as simple and as clear as possible for staff is absolutely fundamental and setting standards and demonstrating those standards is absolutely critical as well. So when when I've interacted with the regulators in the last couple of years, one of the key questions that they have asked us is, can you show, you said you were going to do this and you've shown us the tools that you're using or you've shown us your results, but how do you know it's truly being effective? So that challenge of illustrating how effective we are in terms of conduct, I think is is um, is quite significant and will therefore need to have a lot more work, a lot more attention, particularly in the next couple of years. Throughout your career, you would have dealt with a lot of work pressures and stress. How have you managed those work pressures and stress on a day-to-day basis? Uh, I think that one of the – I have a family, I have a partner, and um, we have children. And one of the big components there was that whenever I was at home with them, that I would concentrate on them and make the most of the time with them. Interesting, I – spoke to my children who are now grown recently and asked them if they thought that they – did they feel um, that I wasn't around or that they were lacking in, a t- in the ability to have time with me? And they looked at me in complete surprise and said, what are you talking about? No, why would you even ask us that? So I think um, sometimes – we we think that the situation is worse than it actually is. Uh, so the first thing was having quality time with my family and friends. Not looking at mobile phones and blackberries. Absolutely. So turning them off and um, between certain hours and not picking them up whilst I was in a conversation with anybody. So that's one thing. And uh, and and having good quality holidays. We always made sure that we had good times um, away and could turn off, so to speak. And uh, I've always had a number of interests. Uh, For example, I really enjoy singing and I've been in a number of choirs. Most recently in the choir at Macquarie, we had a fabulous choir there. And and also I, I collect a number of old things. So having outside interests, good family and friend time, uh, and 
time to really relax, I think, is important, and relaxing through yoga and regular exercise, of course. Should we ask you to have a little sing today, Natalie? Oh, a little bit croaky at the moment. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Any other passions outside of work apart from the ones that you've just mentioned? Yes, uh, I'm really keen on antique furniture and restoration of antique furniture and that's along the lines of from an environmental perspective I think there's far too much of throwing things out and I think we have uh, the opportunity to use older things and to repair them or reuse them or reclaim them or uh, repurpose them. So I'm very interested in what we do with old and uh, collectible antique furniture. Very good. Natalie, thank you so much for providing a fantastic insight into a very interesting journey that you've been on across a number of different industry sectors, Uh, your views around leadership, mentoring, and also around the whole broader health and safety and, and conduct risk. Thanks for your time. My pleasure, Mark. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the show. We encourage you to subscribe and feel free to share, rate us and leave a review. If there's anything you'd specifically like us to cover, email us at markenticott at bowenpartners.com. Thank you.